You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Mount Horeb, which is outside of Madison. I've been to Mount Horeb before. Um, actually, I don't even know if I've been to it, but I've been past it. I know I know of where it was before uh, the podcast, so I didn't have to like look that one up. Uh, but shout out to Mount Horeb and all of our listeners there. Happy to have you. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I, I'm I'm I've survived day one of like well not day one but the first weekday of like <laughs> Jabari fallout season. Um, oh baby, so, there was a lot there. Yeah, it's days like these where I'm glad that I uh, that I don't actually work in the media. Um, <laughs> that I just you know freelance here on the side with you um, because I, I just would sort of peek innocently at Twitter a little bit during the day and just see um, just the, uh, the I don't know, the, well. The absurdity of the of, takes? Well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, a lot of emotions. Um, and I don't know. I, I think um, it's kind of weird. I, I think um, we've obviously been critical of a lot of things the Bucks have done, and I think certainly a lot of um, what's happened this summer, you know, has probably also picked at, you know, just sort of, longer term issues the Bucks have had, like with, you know, drafting right. We've talked a lot obviously about the Bucks draft history since Giannis and, and Jabari obviously kind of was the you know, kind of the ultimate scab ripoff uh, you know, to, in terms mm-hmm. of like laying bare that issue. Um but I, I don't know. Like I'm not um I don't feel I, I think like doing this and having, you know, written about the Bucks for so long, even though it was just for fun, um, it does kind of make you somewhat uh I don't know, like I'm still super engaged in games like I, I still live every game like a fan which I know you can't do because you're obviously at games and covering them like a real journalist so I have much more of a fan I have much more of a fan experience um, than, than I know you do um, but I don't know like there is sort of a degree to which you know keeping cap spreadsheets and having to sort of like try to rationally have discourse about this stuff like makes me I think hopefully a little bit more immune to sort of like the emotional roller coaster side of it I think you're um, a little bit more dispassionate than most yeah yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, I probably have always been a little bit of that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, but but it's difficult, right? Because again, I think, you know, again, like the time horizon at which you view these things kind of is is essential to, to I think how you, how you kind of judge a lot of what's happened for the Bucks this summer, and it, you know, certainly some of the things have not made a lot of sense necessarily over any time horizon necessarily. Or, well, I shouldn't say that necessarily, but I mean, Ursa necessarily is a good example, right? I mean, you know, like we said, like will probably help the Bucks this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, fits a role, I think, can fit in this team very well. Um, you know, but again, our, our criticisms have been really more about sort of the length of the contract. And, you know, I was kind of doing some numbers this um, yesterday. And, you know, especially with Jabari gone, you know, the irony of Ursan having, you know, more 2019-20 guaranteed money than, than Jabari Parker, which yep. I'm sure many Jabari fans will, will not feel happy about hearing that um, that bit of information. But, um, but, you know, just like seeing the Bucks go from potentially having some cap space, like, you know, maybe they have 15, 16 million, 17, maybe 17 million, um, you know, assuming they can't get rid of all those, those contracts, but if they keep Middleton's hold and they keep Brogdon's hold and they have a first round pick, um, you know, they maybe have some money there in going into the summer of 2019, but because you sign Ursa to two guaranteed years, now you have basically just the mid-level. It knocks you down to like 9 million, which is basically the mid-level. And so... Just like stuff like that, it's just, I don't know, it's just like really, it's really tough to just sort of like feel like, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just very kind of tough to just look at it and feel like, wow, there's like really just, you know, strategic sound decision making happening. Mm-hmm. And I think, and the thing is like, I, I don't, 
you know, when we say this stuff, like a lot of times we can come off as like kind of smart asses or whatever. And, um, and it's, you know, like I don't really see it that much, but you know, occasionally people was like, well, what, you know, you think you're, you're smarter than, you know, the, the bucks front office or whatever. And it's like, look, I realize there's way more collective wisdom in the bucks front office and every front office than, than what I have in my brain. Um, but it's not me that the bucks or in any other team is trying to beat. It's 29 other professional teams and organizations. Yeah. And, you know, that is, that is really difficult. Right. Um, and you know, when, when the peanut gallery, such as ourselves are questioning stuff, I mean, that to me, that is worrying because we're, you know, we're not professionals at this stuff. Like we're, we're observers, obviously we're pretty educated, but, um, you know, again, I think it's just, uh, it's just a challenge. And, and I think also, I mean, we should do like a, a positive spin box podcast at some point soon, because that's the irony is as much as we've given the box a lot of grief for a lot of things, um, we still both think this team is going to be good. (laughs) See, I I was actually going to hop in with that right now because, I mean, I just think that that today that was like the one realization I had because, you know, I'm... I'm a media person, as you said, and that means uh, I'm I'm able to spend a little bit more on t- time on Twitter than than you may be able to during the day. And I was just struck by, you know, how many responses I got about, oh, well, you know, the Bucks suck, like, it's not going to work out, like all this stuff is going to go against them. They let Jabari go for nothing. There's no planning going on. Nothing is is going to work out for them. They might as well just tear it all. Like all these negative comments and the one thing I keep thinking about is I don't even know if those comments are totally off base because I mean, if you listen to our our Jabari Parker podcast and you've listened to our podcast this summer, you know, we've talked about some strategic missteps they've made. We've talked about, uh, you know, the plan, maybe not making total sense to us and, uh, you know, the order, which they do it, the poker game that they're playing, all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel pretty confident this team's winning 50 games and I feel pretty confident this team can be in the top four in the East can at least get themselves to an Eastern conference semifinals. Uh, they, they can get themselves into a spot where maybe they can get themselves to the Eastern conference finals. Like, I don't even, like, I don't think those things are that, that far off. I don't, I don't think they're that crazy. Like this, this has the, the, this team has the opportunity to be a, a 50 win team for sure. And maybe even on the higher side. And I know people don't necessarily like to hear that because essentially my argument has to be that, you know, Brooke Lopez is that much better than whoever was playing 25 minutes a a night at center, (laughs) whether you want to say it's Thon or John Hudson, whoever, Um, however it works out. Like you have those 25 minutes and then Boonholzer over kid. And I I think there, there's just, to me, a lot of people will, so what? Boonholzer's 10 games better than kid. Well, it's not necessarily that he's 10 games better than kid. He might be like, four or five games better than kid, but also kid and Prunty combined had a bad year last year. Like that should have been a 48 win team last year than a 44 team, uh, a 44 game team. And, you know, I think when you kind of parse some of this out, like there's a reason to think that, you know, this team could add 10 wins from last season and that gets you up to 54. And I understand how crazy that is. I understand how big of a jump that is, but I do think you have to think about how their wins might've been depressed in a way last year uh, because of a number of the things that they happened because of the lack of point guard depth that they had where, you know, you have those two injuries hit at the same time. And then Brandon Jennings is playing point guard for you. You have below average guys at center that are playing in a lot of minutes for you you have you know some rotation guys that were giving you below average minutes so i just think there's a lot of a lot of reasons for optimism despite all of the the mess all of the strategic indecision all of the the poor planning like all of those things can be true at the same time and i just as i look forward to the season i keep thinking about man this is really gonna mess with people's heads where i think overwhelmingly people are going to say bucks had a bad off season you know they they misplayed their cards sure they, they got some guys that maybe they can contribute in these veterans but they gave them bad contracts and they didn't work it out right they lost jabari parker bad off season that means it's gonna be a bad season 
I think it's going to be the opposite. I think it's going to be a really good season. And it's just this strange juxtaposition where these two competing ideas don't really match up uh, for what the end product of this team is going to be. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I, I there's been so much talk since the new ownership group came in in 2014 around championships and everything's championship, championship, championship. And I I feel like we need to just, like, be clear, like, the moves and things that have happened are not like they're not about maximizing sort of like boom bust championship or or nothing type type approach like that's really not what they're doing and and I'm not like I'm not going to sit here and say that um you know being short-sighted is 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 like some I don't know I mean if you have a chance to win 50 games and you have to you know get older and you give up some of your upside I mean teams are entitled to do that if they want right and mm-hmm. i think for the most part like we and others would say you, you should still be taking your shots right Giannis gives you a really high baseline like you know i i, I don't i fundamentally don't feel like sort of the you know Giannis in a cloud of dust or Giannis chris in a cloud of dust approach which i feel like is what they're sort of settling into i don't feel like that is what i would do if i was you know magically running this team and i feel like there's too much of that like again like the Ilyasova thing right like locking in two years you know really kind of taking a big chunk out of your 2019 cap space and kind of flexibility by giving you know a 31 year old you know likely bench combo you know bench forward um or bench combo big um you know that that money i just don't think like this doesn't make sense to me that you would do that unless it's you know like for instance a head coach who wants to win now and an organization that wants to win now just sort of saying like well you know i just want that guy and give me that guy and and whatever and in some cases you know brooke lopez they were they were patient and they got a guy that was it was the opposite they they waited and they got a guy who arguably is going to mean more to them than Ilyasova for half as much money and only one year right and so that was i think you know uh, that that's really like the the move that we made i mean who knows we'll see how lopez fits in but um that could certainly be the move that uh that we look back and say well that one was really the one that kind of swung a lot of what we saw last summer um, from from questionable to, to good, but but again, you know, Ursan's not. It's not like they gave a. Um, I'm trying to think like who who a good example would be like, and I don't know. I don't know if Jeff Green's the right example, but you know, it's not like they went out and picked some guy who like could hurt them, right? Like yeah. because you overplay him and he he's a negative player and things like that, right? Um, you know, arguably relative to last year, certainly like Jabari Parker, you know. You, Jabari Parker last year in particular, and and really everything we've seen from Jabari Parker, again, he hasn't been like a plus winning player so far. And again, that that could obviously change um, next year, but certainly relative to last year and previous years, you know, losing Jabari relative to the baseline of previous years doesn't really hurt you. I mean, again, like I know that probably surprises some people, but again, like this is a really high power, you know, this this can be a pretty high powered offense just with the guys you have, and they were very good offensively last year. And again, where they need to get better is defensively. So, um, and that's obviously has always been a big part of, I think our rationale for why we think this team can win 50 games, because look, if you were not talented enough, then you probably wouldn't be a top 10 offense and a horrible defense, right? Like that's the opposite. If you were, you know, um, not just not talented and just sort of like an overachieving bunch of tryhards, you'd be, you know, the, the Scott Skiles bucks that were second in defense and 30th in offense (laughs) or whatever that was and didn't make the playoffs, but that's not really where they are. And granted, there's some like, fungibility probably between those two things like you know maybe they weren't giving all the effort that they could have on defense and they were maybe had a little bit more offensively because of it but you know like we talked about the system last year also you know was nothing to write home about offensively either so um so i think just betting on the bucks being much better defensively because you have you know adults kind of running running the team now and bringing in some hopefully fresh perspectives and um not kind of going back to the weld of of things that just didn't work um you know, again, like they really don't even have to get much better offensively to to, you know, be, I think, a lot better. So um, so I don't know. I don't know if that I don't know if what that whole conversation qualifies as optimism or, or, or a pick me up. Um, but again, like for all the kind of questionable stuff, I think they've added certainly in, in Lopez and Ilyasova, like a couple guys who who do help. Um, we'll see what they do kind of in the with the rest of, um, you know, the, the kind of end of the roster. I really hope they don't just sit here and go to go to camp with Brandon Jennings as a fourth point guard on a guarantee contract. Um, I'd much rather see them kind of uh, try to add some more. Um, again, like I always kind of 
not even jokingly, but but bring up like a you know Beasley because he's like an, an obvious guy that we've seen here before. I don't think he's a bud guy by any stretch, <laughs> but certainly no. you know he's much more of a bud guy than Jabari Parker because he actually like vaguely tries on defense and um, you know I think certainly he he can do some things that we saw. So who knows, right? I don't think I don't really think Beasley's going to be back, but a guy who can give you some more sort of three four depth, I think would potentially balance out the roster better just because again like small forward you've got yes chris is obviously sort of naturally small forward Giannis can obviously play some small forward although i think we've seen that he's really a four i by the way bucks instagram are you do you follow any bucks instagram accounts but instagram don't, is like a Frank, weird place come on, don't be silly no okay because i was gonna say like if you think like bucks twitter is like angry and like toxic at times but there's a lot of for all the kind of question marks there's a lot of like smart people there as well bucks instagram like i i subscribe to some like of the like ones that have like surprisingly large follow amounts and Mm -hmm. they just like say random stuff like you know oh Giannis and chris were playing out of position like they they're actually a shooting guard and small forward it's like what no (laughs) like that's like that's like a litmus test for like whether or not you're paying attention to like those players in the bucks and the league like no Giannis is not a 6'11", like, best suited to small forward. Like, no. You do not want him, like, guarding guys, running around screens and playing on the perimeter. You want him closer to the basket. And granted, I mean, it's hard enough being close to the basket now with modern fours. But um, anyway, that's just, just stupid stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think there's there's definitely opportunity here to, to really have a really good year. And, um, again, I think the challenge is, like, where's the top end of this team and they just have not managed i think assets well enough cap space well enough to you know again kind of maybe give themselves a chance outside of just Giannis going completely nuclear which he certainly could and you know bud really optimizing all the kind of rest of the roster parts which again like so much is riding on Budenholzer to like maximize some of these guys like the tony snells and the sterling browns who you know i think have been more unoptimized thus far um sure that um that i think if you can kind of get everything to hit on all cylinders and this certainly does become a really interesting team even though again like they are still facing like very much an uphill battle against the likes of philly and um and uh boston but you know again i think people i I also think people they think so narrowly about like what a team can be like i remember howard Beck, who i normally really like i just remember him being on that was bill michael show or someplace like late in the year and he just said and i think I've, I've complained about this before and he says something like oh like i just like people are talking about this team like winning 50 games and like i just can't see that happening like he was basically like the idea that like oh this like that roster just like couldn't like oh just it's too flawed to ever win 50 games or something like that and it's like what did what did people say about the pacers roster that won 48 games last year before the season yeah. like what were they supposed to be like a low to mid 30s team like i think people just i think people really like lock into what they see and then act like that is just like again throughout they're always like surprises and things like that but it's like philly winning 52 games including a massive winning streak even with joel Embiid hurt what the hell was that right i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff just stuff just worked right and you know again not not to say there are any guarantees the bucks can do something similar but um i think the bands of outcomes are much are much wider than maybe a lot of people seem to to think they are um and and that can obviously also stretch down in the opposite direction, right? Especially if you have like a team like the Bucks, if they you know lost Giannis to an injury or something like that, obviously they could you know fall Lose off a cliff lot, pretty yeah. quickly. But um, but I think if they have relatively good health, again, I mean, I mean, Mike Budenholzer knows that. Like, I don't know what the I, I we'd have to check what the Vegas odds were on the the Hawks team that won sixty games. But even though they were deep and had talent, I mean, there's no way in hell anybody looks at that roster and says, oh, they're going to win sixty <laughs> games, right? I mean, yeah, sixty no games way. is a it's a ton of wins, and um, I am absolutely not predicting sixty wins for the Bucks. But, um, but again, I mean, this is this is why you you need the coaching staff to really maximize too, because especially with some of the lack, you know, the, with the asset cupboard being not as well stocked as some of these other teams. Um, and and again, especially over the next couple of years, you know, really you have to go to twenty twenty to find a chance to really have significant cap space, and that's dependent on a few things because twenty nineteen again, like probably not really going to have meaningful cap space and so much of you know what really happens beyond that is, is obviously going to be dependent on, on bringing guys back and, and things like that but obviously that's a that's a different conversation yeah and i, I don't know like it's the nba is obviously very it's my job i'm very interested in it and i try to think through these things a lot and uh 
I just wrote a book, and in that book, I've told you this many times. Like I, I think about the the Don Nelson books of the '80s, and you know, it sucked, man. Like they didn't ever get to go to an NBA Finals because they were up against the Sixers and the Celtics, and they would keep doing that. But shit, man, they won 50 games every year. I've seen that once in my life. Once! 52. That's it. In 2000, 2001. Rest of my life. The Bucks have not won 50 games. And... Uh, it just it it does feel like at times we get into this kind of binary idea that it's a championship or a failure, and I mean I'm kind of interested in seeing hey man win 50 games and see if some weird shit happens in the playoffs like yeah it, it, doesn't that sound kind of fun even if even if it's just for the next two years and everything isn't perfect I mean. I've seen weird stuff happen in the playoffs before. I've seen team. We saw the Celtics do it this year, where it was a team that you know. I, I don't think anyone saw them making that run. I, I know I didn't. I picked the Bucks to beat them in the first round, uh, and a number of people did. That was a toss up, and that team makes a huge run in the playoffs. So, I mean, I, I just look at this Bucks team and I think about the depth that they have, and I struggle to think of another Bucks team again, since that 2001 team that has had this type of depth. You you go up and down that roster, and again, I'm not saying these players are perfect. I'm not saying everything is awesome with all of them, but there's NBA players on this roster at every position, no, no matter if you love them or hate them. Um, Eric Bledsoe, NBA player. Behind him, Malcolm Brogdon, NBA player. Chris Middleton, NBA player. Behind him, Tony Snell, NBA player. And uh, I don't know if if people are there yet on Sterling Brown. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Matthew Delvadova, again, most people don't like him. Probably an NBA player. Uh, and then you, you look at Giannis, you look at Ursan, you look at Brooke Lopez, and I just see a, a team that's, I think probably inarguably at least seven to eight deep and arguably 10 to 11, 12 deep. Like this is a good roster. <laughs> and, and again, it's not perfect and it might not be ideal, but you look at kind of what they've managed to optimize and the shooting that they have. Like if you look up and down this roster, there's shooters all over it and with Giannis, it seems pretty good. Seems like a good idea. Uh, so I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm with the idea that the Bucks didn't execute. But damn, I'm also with the idea of actually watching good basketball from night to night. Like that, that seems really exciting to me. Um, as someone that will watch all 82 and probably watch all 82 twice. That seems pretty damn cool. Like I, I look forward to watching good basketball. Yeah, and I mean the the difference obviously is is it's not just depth. I mean the, it starts with Giannis obviously, and we haven't seen anyone like him since really Kareem in yep. Milwaukee. And you know you look back at I was just looking at you know the '80s teams under Del, uh, Don Nelson. You know, they had a 60-win season, a 59-win season, a 57-win season, 55 wins. I mean, again, not just like 50 wins and, you know, four seeds and things like that. I mean, they were they were really good. And they got, you know, to the East Finals, uh, what, three times? Yeah. Um, got to the East Semis. I mean, basically, like, they had a stretch where they went, what, look, eight straight years, either going to the East Semis or East Finals. Um and then and then Don Nelson leaves and kind of everything, you know, kind of goes goes to the wayside. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, this is one of those tension things. Like, I think if you can create a team that wins 50 plus games every year, I think first off, it, it would change the dynamic around this team because we haven't we just haven't seen a consistent winner like that. in again, like we've seen it once in yep. in, in my lifetime as a Bucks fan, which is, you know, basically 26, 27 years at this point. And um and that that changes things now the flip side is when you have Giannis like if you're doing this with you know Glenn Robinson and Ray Allen and Sam Cassell I mean those guys are never going to be the best player in the league right it's yep. different if you if you do that if you win 52 games with Giannis the next question is going to be all right how do you win 55 how do you win 60 mm -hmm. how do you go to the east finals how do you go to the finals because Giannis does 
raise the ceiling of the team in a way that we just haven't seen with any other Bucks teams. Um, and that's why I think it's right that there should be pressure on the franchise to not just, you know, again, just feel like, well, we can just sign some role players and we can, you know, give away assets on the margin and not necessarily make great, you know, great savvy yeah. cap moves and it'll all be okay, right? Um, I think because of Giannis, there, there's justifiably pressure because, again, if you don't live up to that, then at some point Giannis can leave, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I did the math today based on the newest cap projections. 2020, uh, he should be eligible for a $247 million <laughs> extension. <laughs> um, which, you know, again, uh, likely the following year, um, yeah, if he turned that down and became an understood free agent, I think his number would probably be something like four years, 157. Um, so again, there's a one year, you know, obviously the, you, there's one fewer years if he signed somewhere else. Um, but I mean, a $90 what million it, dollar difference between the, between the, the max he could get uh, in 2020, lock up in 2020 versus, um, versus what he could get on the open market in, in people, 2021. Most people likely. get mad when we say the $90 million difference because, oh, there's a fifth year, which, yes, there is a fifth year, but also there's 50 more million guaranteed. But Yeah, 50, uh, 56 million in that last year. <laughs> like that's It's, a, it's one night, yeah, it, it's like a $34 million difference if you just look at the... Um, 34 the, million. Uh, that's still significant yeah. just across the first four years because that's always the yeah. complaint I get when I say, well, you know, no one's ever turned down a Supermax. And when I say a Supermax, I want to make sure everyone knows like there are varying levels of Supermax. And Giannis is going to be eligible for the largest of those Supermaxes, the biggest Supermax you can get. No one's turned that one down yet. And we, like uh, Paul George doesn't count. He was not that because he didn't have enough All-NBA. Kyrie Irving got himself out of a situation where he potentially would have got it, but the injury this year would have taken him out of that, so he would not have been eligible for it. Like, Kawhi may be the first one, but we're not sure the Spurs are actually going to offer him the Supermax. So we've yet to see someone turn that down. But that's so significant. $34 million over the first four years, and then you add another $56 million. $56 million in what year is that? 2025, 26? Yeah, 2025, 26, which is kind of crazy to even think out to to a year that far. I mean, Giannis will be 30, uh, 31, turning, turning 31 that year. So that's how far away it is. That's is. We're talking about eight years from now. So Sure, but I do think at the same time, all this stuff ends up being important, right? Because you do yeah. have to you have to play for that summer. You you have to yeah. be ready to go for 2020. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit here about the low post today. Uh, Wendy joined Zach for the second half of the low post. Nick Friedel for the first part talking about the Jabari Parker move. Uh, so the first half was more focused on the Bulls. Second half focused on the Bucks and. I think one of the things I wanted to talk with you about, Frank, is we kind of just got at it there a little bit, um, and you mentioned it briefly, but there was this talk from Zach about you know how important this this season can be for the Bucks because they have so many guys up in the air. They have uh, Brogdon, who will be a free agent next offseason. They have Middleton, who will have the ability to opt out next offseason. They have Eric Bledsoe, who will be a free agent next offseason. Uh, and obviously, they, they just lost Jabari Parker. So this year, there's a lot of things to juggle and for the Bucks to figure out exactly where they're going to be. And the the one thing Zach had kind of said was, you know, there's a couple options here. Like, one, the coach is awesome, and the Bucks win a bunch of games, and you decide that, okay, this actually makes sense, this works, let's bring this team back, and let's see if this is the team with this coach that we really like, or, you know, you find some cap space, or you make a really great trade, and he kind of counted out the cap space, but you and I were talking about it a little bit before, and you mentioned it earlier, but... That summer of 2020, which is the summer that Giannis becomes max extension eligible, eligible, excuse me. Um, that summer, the Bucks could have some cap space. Explain to me how that's possible because I do think there's this idea that you know the Bucks are are done with cap space. Like there, there's no more cap space for the Bucks. They're locked into this roster. They got to find a way to escape, and everything is kind of screwed going forward but that's not necessarily the case so take me through it yeah so um obviously a lot of i mean the, the big variables are what do you do with middleton brogdon bledsoe next summer um but we can make some assumptions and just sort of see what, what kind of how things play out um because again like 2020 at that point henson 
and Delavidova are off your books. Ursan will no longer be guaranteed. Um, you know, uh, DJ Wilson, I, again, that would be his fourth year team option. I don't, I would be not surprised if he doesn't even make it to his third year team option, which they have to decide on this fall. Um, and Thon Maker is a restricted free agent. He has a $11 million hold. But again, like, who knows what Thon Maker is going to be at that point, right? So, I mean, if you just, and, and the important thing here is that's Giannis's kind of last year of his current contract. So he's at $27.5 million that year. Um, his first year Supermax projection in 2021-22 is almost $43 million. So that's a huge delta, obviously. And so you're going to lose, again, like the cap is going to continue to go up. Um, in 2020, it's supposed to be 116 with a luxury tax of 141 compared to um, shade under 102 today, 124 roughly luxury tax. So just to give you a sense of how much this has continued to grow over the next couple of years. Um, but if you just put in some some placeholders, I mean, if you say that Middleton's going to sign next summer and let's say he's making 25 million in the 2021 season, um, let's say um, or, or let's say this between Brogdon and Middleton, let's say you bring both those guys back. And let's say together they earn $40 million, okay? Divide it up however you want. You could say Brogdon's making 10, Middleton's 30, or Middleton's 28, Brogdon's 12, or 15, 12, whatever you want to sure. say. But like, I feel like that's not an unreasonable number to, to say. Um, so if, you, if you've got $40 million between those two guys, if you are um, if you don't have, if you, if, if you basically with Bledsoe, you either, let's say you give him a one-year deal next summer, or you sign some other guy to a one-year deal, but you don't have a long-term salary tied up at your point guard position. In 2020, assuming that you have Giannis, Middleton, Brogdon, DiVincenzo, uh, Tony Snell in the last year of his player option, which again, like you assume he's going to take at 12 million bucks, um, and you have you still have your your Larry Sanders uh, 1.9 million dollars <laughs> that is going until 21-22. Um, and you have a, a, I've got a placeholder for like a first rounder at two and a half million. Um, that puts you around, I think, around let's say um, thirty, like probably cl- you can get close to like maybe thirty million in in cash space, something like that. Um, so you know, again, like you, I think you'd be at like eh, like eighty four million committed, so a little over thirty million in cap space that that summer potentially. So if if your only goal was to kind of you know free up max or or max ish cap space for the twenty 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 one summer, um, you know, again, you, you'd have the opportunity to do that. But again, this is the question. I mean, you know, like the Ilyasova signing the signing this summer. How much do the Bucks really care about creating cap space? Because I'll also say this: I think it is really risky to just put all your your eggs into the cap space basket and especially with Giannis that summer I mean that's the summer that you basically have to impress Giannis enough to have him sign that super max extension because if he says you know what I'm not going to sign that I'll wait I mean you can offer him the same thing next summer the following summer and no other team can offer him you know close to that mm-hmm. um, because you can offer him 35 percent and and nobody else can but um I know and other teams can only offer 30 percent of the cap but I mean if you think Giannis might leave the 2021 or the 2021-22 summer, do you trade Giannis Adetokounmpo and try to get you know your reload if you think he's going to leave? That to me, that's the question, right? That is the fundamental kind of fulcrum of the Bucks, you know, next decade is the summer of 2020. Because if Giannis doesn't want to sign that that supermax, um, if you can't put talent around him. Um, you know, again, that might be your your last kind of really obvious opportunity to to go out and get a, a major piece because you're not going to do it next summer, most likely, unless you yep. make other moves to clear cap space. So, so I think that 2020 summer is really the kind of key one um, in the kind of the grand scheme of all this. And again, there is flexibility to make a splash that summer, but that means you have to be limited in what you give out in terms of multi-year deals over the next over the next year right you you can't go in and say give a backup power forward two years right if you're just trying to maximize cap space in 2020 if you're doing that next summer so um so yeah these are all the sorts of things that you have to kind of consider but um again like i know it's not satisfying it's like oh they can have a max slot in 2020 you know because again how it's not easy to use a max slot and use it well um but i think there is an opportunity again to 
to have a number of the key players that you look at on this roster. And again, I don't think it's a no-brainer to give Malcolm Brogdon a ton of money either. Um, I think Especially that's, that's with, with the note that Windhorst and Lowe had in that podcast. was, um, we, And it's something we've heard about before, just kind of whispers and no one really knew uh, exactly how deep it was. But Malcolm Brogdon has been red flagged by some teams for a foot injury that he had. Uh, that would happen before the draft. That was part of the reason why or I shouldn't say part of the reason, but that was rumored to be part of the reason why he fell to the Bucks, where he did in that second round was because of the foot problem. So um, they said, you know, maybe there isn't a, a, a Norm Powell deal or a Josh Richardson deal, which would be, uh, what is it, 120% of the mid-level or the average salary in the league um, at the time that you'd give it out. So that would be here in a couple months, 120% of whatever that would would be. Uh, so the Bucks have that opportunity but at the same time if that red flag is an issue maybe maybe that helps cap Malcolm Brogdon and the money that you pay him to some extent but also at the same time if you let him go to next summer um you know maybe someone strikes out somewhere else and decides to give him a bigger offer than than maybe you'd expect so I I don't know it's (laughs) it's kind of it's kind of an interesting spot with him because all of those things have to get weighed in. And then also you have to think about what's his actual value. Like, how do you value a player like Malcolm Brogdon? I I think he's a really tough case to figure out because, you know, he does, he has some switchability across a couple positions. He creates a little bit. He shoots a little bit. He, he does. I mean, to me, he's just a winning player. He makes plays that help you win, but how do you pay for that? How do you value that? So, I think it's interesting, and then I just think, you know, you kind of, you think about making sure that you have the flexibility, you have everything going, and I think as the Bucks go through this, you kind of kind of have to have two timelines in your mind, if that makes any sense, that I think to some extent it makes sense to win a bunch the next two seasons. If you can win 50-plus, maybe 55 next year, um you know, you show to Giannis, hey, we're close. And then you still have a max spot set up for him after winning 55 games. Like maybe you can convince a solid max player to get to that spot. And again, that sounds very hopeful. And that's not all that, that it's ill befitting of this podcast <laughs> to, to have some, some of that hope and maybe some pessimism should be here to drown that out a little bit. But um, you're, you got to kind of figure out how to balance all that. And uh, like Zach said, this is a tough spot. Like This is, this is a, a what do you, I think you call it a pivot point or something like that, where, you know, you, this is, this is one of the summers. And I'd probably argue maybe it was last summer where you, you hire a new GM and then you don't end up firing Jason Kidd. Or maybe it was the summer before where you gave up all those bad contracts, to, uh, the, all those middling free agents. It seems like every summer is a huge summer when you have someone the caliber of Giannis Adetokounmpo. Yeah. So we'll see. So let's, um, what, what part you, you excerpted a bunch of the, of sure. the Brian Windhorst, Zach Lowe conversation today for, for others co- consumption on Twitter. Um, I, we'd obviously encourage everybody to listen to it. I mean, if you're listening to us, you really should listen to that one. Um, but what kind of jumped out at you from that? Because there was a lot to it. And I think I agreed with, you know, the majority of it because Zach and Brian are very smart guys. Um, <laughs> but what, what kind of jumped out at you? Cause yeah. there obviously was some, certainly some inside information and, and, you know, hashtag scuttlebutt that, that, uh, that came through as well. Yeah, I thought, you know, the first thing was kind of the one was the Brogdon note that I had said, uh, because I don't know if I've seen someone reported as um, with as much conviction as Brian did during that podcast, the the kind of the red flag on his foot. So I thought that was one note um, for sure to have. Uh, a second one was Zach and Brian start off their conversation by reaffirming their kind of original report of the Bucks offering three for 54 to Jabari during the early extension period last year. Um, and the only reason I wanted to make sure I tweeted that out again, and I wanted to make sure that that was noted again was because Jabari has told, I think it was Bill Michaels during the Bucks basketball hour that he wishes uh, those were the words, right? I wish I got that offer. Um, and uh, again, Gary talked about it today on the Bill Michael show that, you know, during that time, the Bucks were only offering somewhere around 10 million. And again, 
maybe Gary's got it. Uh, maybe that is what happened, but two of the very best reporters in the world, um, said that three for 54 was on the table and that it was Jabari's people that, you know, weren't interested in that. So I wanted to make sure that that was noted once again, because if people are going to keep, anytime I bring that up, keep throwing, well, Jabari said this or that, I want to make sure that both sides of the he said, he said are accounted for in that uh, Wendy and Zach are resolute in their three for 54. Nothing has changed with them from when they reported it before Jabari denied it. And now after Jabari denied it, that three for 54 was a thing. So I wanted to note that. Um, Second thing, when they were talking about Jabari and kind of how it went down and he said, they had an opportunity at the trade deadline where they could have traded him, but I don't think they had any offers. I think rolling the dice on him having a healthy and productive second half was a better alternative to them than what they could have traded him for. Uh, and he was talking about this past trade deadline. Jabari returns six days before the trade deadline, three games uh, before the deadline goes down, and the Bucks didn't make a move. And again, why I'm noting this was there is the uproar around you know, the Bucks didn't get anything for the second overall pick of the draft, and that is a failure, and they should have seen this coming and made a deal. I think it would have been extremely difficult to make a deal. Jabari Parker missed, uh, as, as everyone should know, missed the first half of the season um, and only had those couple games for the, the trade deadline. And it's it's been interesting to me to see this come back as, oh, the Bucks should have found a way. They should have had a plan in place to get something for him. Because, Frank, I don't know if you remember this, but in December 2016, near the end of 2016, you and I got together and we recorded a podcast about the possibility of trading Jabari Parker. It was something that was very popular uh, across Bucks internet, and people hated that episode they could not believe that we would be so cavalier to think about trading jabari parker in the middle of his breakout season this this season where he scores 20 points gets six rebounds gets two assists people could not believe we were so cavalier they thought we had dove too deep into the the dark internet reset wherever the dark internet of Bucks Twitter whatever you want to say wherever that exists at this very moment or that moment two years ago, people thought we had dug too deep into it and we were just crazy for even suggesting it. And I gotta say, Frank, that was when his value was undoubtedly the highest. That was the moment. If you were gonna trade Jabari Parker, that was the time to do it. If the only thing you wanted to do was to get something for Jabari Parker. December 2016, January 2017, before... And again, we didn't know it was coming. We didn't know he was going to tear his ACL for a second time. But that was the time. And we brought it up. We talked about it on this podcast. And everyone hated it. There were some people that were down with it. And those people got labeled as people that didn't believe in Jabari Parker, whatever it may be. But we brought it up. And people didn't like it. So... Uh, I I find anything, uh, I think I find any people arguing that the Bucks should have found a way to get something for Jabari Parker. I find their arguments disingenuous because there's no way you actually believe that. You just wanted Jabari Parker to be back, and that's what you're arguing for. That's what you're arguing about. Not that the Bucks should have had a better plan. Does, does that seem crazy, or am I going out on a limb by saying that? Because to me, that's what it feels like. Well, I won't accuse any one specific person of our listeners of, of feeling one, one way or the other. But, I mean, this is the common problem, right? And teams are perhaps even more um, prone to this than than fans or at least, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't like to think of fans as just like some single collective group with the shared, <laughs> shared ideas. But, yes. um, but this is always something that teams, I think, struggle with is that you know, and we see it with the box, like the box never have historically have never really sold high on assets. And most teams don't, I mean, most teams fall into this pro in this trap because, Oh, Jabari Parker's back. He's averaging 20 points a game. <laughs> oh, he's going to be a future star. And, you know, and, and it's like, well, you know, okay. Um, I mean, is, you know, I think Zach at one point today said, I think he said Jabari is the worst defender he's, he's seen 
in the NBA today, or I, I forget the, what the mm-hmm. time parameters were on it, but, um, but you know, I pointed out, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's a lot of people, I think sort of try to, you know, it's like when we talk about Jabari's defense, it's like, well, if he can just become an average defender, I mean, this is the problem. It's like, you don't even have to really be that close of a watcher of basketball, but it's just like, he, he is, you know, if not, you know, the worst, he is one of the worst has been one of the worst defenders in the league. And just, yep. you know, again, like if he, if he just freaking tried harder, like I think he could be better, but you know, a lot of it is just complete lack of awareness and, and just stuff. I mean, clearly he has no like instincts for it. And, yep. and obviously if you're the worst in the league or there's a big difference between like maybe the worst in the league defensively versus um, slightly below average or, yep. Like, oh, maybe he's trending towards average. I mean, huge difference there, right? Especially as you think about, like, being able to play in the playoffs and some of those things. Um, And obviously, we saw flashes in the playoffs where Jabari looked very playable defensively. But, you know, we saw that how many times out of, you know, what what did he play, like 180 games or something in four years? Um, So I I thought that was was all interesting. And, yeah, I mean, this and this is the problem. It's like, especially with young players, teams are always afraid to deal them when they have max value because then you're giving up on your young, you know, guy that the fan base wants to say is a future star because he's the number two overall pick. Right. Um, but I mean, again, so often this is one of those things that, you know, did this is where, again, sort of you, you flip from what good front offices do or successful front offices do versus what unsuccessful front offices do. Um, you know, I mean, people joke or bemoan at times, you know, Danny Ainge being kind of, <laughs> heartless about some of the trades they've made with Isaiah Thomas being the obvious one but you know clearly cutting bait on Isaiah Thomas it was heartless and cruel and all those things but it was 100% the right thing to do for Boston and yep again a lot of teams are are afraid to do that and they they kind of hang on and you know again you open yourself up to a lot of things now granted whatever the Bucks could have traded Jabari Parker and could have traded for some other star who hurts his knee or doesn't develop or whatever right and that's just that's just how it goes but um certainly in hindsight yeah it's easy to kind of look back on that and question it um but i would agree like you know not only is it not team's inclination to necessarily want to trade young guys like that um but certainly fans as well there's always a a very you know vocal as we're seeing now there's a very vocal fan base that gets very attached to especially high picks because those are your guys like those those emotionally that's supposed to be the guy that's you know like i was a huge glenn robinson fan growing up yep I like Glenn Robinson more than Ray Allen, in part because he was the number one pick. He was supposed to be our superstar. And I, as a as a teenager growing up, like I was so emotionally vested in Glenn Robinson, even though he, you know, especially now with advanced analytics, like Glenn was really not that not that great. You yeah. know, like he probably was lucky to make a couple All Star teams. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a it's 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 tough. I mean, you know, again, like when do you move on from guys? But I do think. You know, a lot is made of like how Giannis and Jabari fit. Um, but again, I, I would emphasize again, like to me, the first question is, how does Jabari fit with anyone? How good is Jabari Parker going to be? How does he? How translatable is his skill set? I mean, I, you know, a lot of people have accused him of being like a ball stopper, which I think is actually not correct. I think he's you know much more of a guy who can who can play with others, at least in terms of ball stopping, than I think maybe some people have, have assumed he'd be. Um, but you know, especially on a team with. With with Giannis and now Chris, who are both, you know, I mean, Chris is a I think fringe All Star type guy. We'll see if maybe he takes a step this year. That would be great. Um, Giannis obviously a superstar. Um, you know, again, like how much money do you invest in any combo forward on a team like this where you're going to have limited cap resources, right? I mean, yep. and and we talked about this. Like I said, I wouldn't have given, I wouldn't have wanted to pay Julius Randle twenty million dollars if I could. I wouldn't probably have even given Aaron Gordon twenty his contract, even though I like Aaron Gordon, just because it's just Where's hard to fit yeah. all those guys together. It's just it's just kind of harder to make it work. Um, and those are guys that have most, certainly much better two way games than than Jabari does. So so yeah, it's um, it's difficult. And I would say this: we were talking about this earlier. I mean, if Jabari Parker was on the Bulls and the Bucks had twenty million dollars in cap space, I, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted. You know, if he had, if Jabari had the exact same career in Milwaukee that he had in Chicago, I wouldn't have looked at Jabari and said, "Let's go make him give him an offer sheet to try to shoehorn him into a lineup with Giannis and Chris." Like, I, 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 I wouldn't. I maybe and again, maybe some people would say, "Well, I would still try to do that," but to me, that also sort of like your your answer to that question, I think, also speaks a little bit to sort of the the bias we have towards keeping our own players, right? Yeah. Um, which is natural. And I think there is a good argument for teams that are over the cap, obviously, that, you know, you can't just 
use that $20 million and have it spent on somebody else. Um, but by the same token, again, like, you know, you're not going to have the 2020 cap space I talked about. You're not going to have that if you were paying Jabari Parker $20 million a year, right? Yep. So that's another way to think about it. And granted, I realize Jabari didn't sign for three years. Um, but presumably, if you're bringing Jabari back, it's not because you want to keep him for one year and then let him walk. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you thought Jabari Parker was a long-term piece, you know, that's an obvious question. In the summer of 2020, where you're trying to convince Giannis to stay, and Zach also made it clear that if Giannis had wanted Jabari back, <laughs> Jabari would have been back. Um, Which goes but, without uh, saying, I feel like. And yeah. It's kind of like I said yesterday. Like If the Bucks really wanted Jabari back, they could have they could have done it, yeah. but they didn't. Yeah. And it, I think that's doubly true for Giannis. Like, if Giannis says this guy comes back, he comes back. Yeah, which is ironic because Giannis did say that Jabari <laughs> was coming back. Yeah. But we obviously kind of highlighted how weird that was at the time, especially given sort of some of the run-ins they had had and, you know, some of the obvious sort of issues with potential fit there um but uh but yeah i I, zach did make it clear that you know the thesis was that mike budenholzer probably not not someone who was campaigning for jabari parker to come back and Giannis, um if Giannis had wanted jabari back jabari would be back um and again not that i think he made it clear enough that Giannis said this guy's got to be gone um but you know at a minimum did not uh you know, he did not. Th- Let's just say this: if Giannis wants something, he can pull the Giannis card on the Bucks. Yep, he can do that. You know that he's at that point. If he really feels strong about something, he can say, "You know what, guys, I'm I'm freaking Giannis, and this is what I think." <laughs> we know that's not really in his nature, um, but by the same token, you know, it speaks volumes that, again, likely Giannis didn't really care for that. And I think I know some some people have tweeted like, "Well, you know." Giannis is probably pissed because they wouldn't give you know a potential star money and they're signing role players and again I think I think the opposite is true I think Giannis probably would much rather play with a guy like her son or Brooke Lopez who are going to spread the court and he knows what he's going to get from them and they're going to play a role defensively versus you know a guy like Jabari who again you know you just can't count on him defensively for anything and offensively even obviously they had some friction over Jabari complaining about passes and all sorts of other stuff so anyway all right some other notes uh just i think this was something that was going without saying um and something that we kind of talked about obviously uh throughout the summer we've talked about the ursani Sova deal and kind of what happened there and they took a quick detour came back in the final couple minutes of the podcast and talked about uh you know the move of Lopez and Ilyasova and bringing those two guys in and what it means. And when horse was talking about it, you know, like those are guys that make a lot of sense for them. They spread the floor for Giannis. They're going to be good players. They're going to be accountable. Those will all be good things. And then he ended by saying, I don't know for sure, but I'll bet those were two guys that Bud was heavily in favor of. And Zach cut him off and said, Oh no, no, I know for sure. Bud wanted Ersan Ilyasova, and he got him for three years. Not just one year, three years. And Windhorse was quick to correct him and say, hey, you know, two-year team option at the end. Zach just kind of kept moving and didn't say anything more. But, uh, I mean, that speaks to kind of what was what was going on with the Bucks. That we talked about that, too. Like, Bud had already made a move for Ersan Ilyasova when he was with the Hawks, someone that he truly respects someone that he trusts and i mean signing him at 1201 would suggest all of those things that he wanted to go out and get something and that is what he did and uh you know i I think that means some interesting things for the bucks front office because you know that that does make it sound like a bud move and we've spent the last four years and i think we're about to do it again trying to parse through what's a kid move what's a hammond move and now it'll be what's a bud move and what's a horse move or maybe not maybe it's just going to be more heavily leaning towards bud or at least i think that's what we've probably seen seen thus far that there's some some potential leans towards bud thus far yeah and the 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 discussion around why bud didn't go to toronto versus why he came to milwaukee you know recapping our you know discussion around the um you know because i think there was initially this like you know oh well the you know Masai being a really good gem like oh wouldn't you want to go there versus john horse being young and unproven and you know as as I made the reference that you didn't get as a non Game of Thrones watcher that, you know, the 
the chaos is a ladder uh, perspective on the Bucks that having a young, uh, impressionable GM could be very appealing to a, a veteran coach with uh, who makes a lot more money than him. Um, you know, certainly the, the the initial moves of the of the Mike Budenholzer era have done nothing to dissuade that. Which, obviously, um, looking at Mike Budenholzer's tenure in uh, Atlanta as a president of basketball operations um, is very much a tread carefully type situation because Mike Budenholzer doesn't look like he's a guy who is really cut out to be the primary uh, personnel decision maker, uh, at least not based on his tenure in Atlanta. And um, we'll see um, that yep. certainly the guys that we've seen added so far, though, bear the guys that have been added and the guy that the guy that has been lost, let's say they bear the hallmarks of um, of, of Mike Budenholzer's fing- fingerprints. So um, for better or worse, you know, we talked a lot about that and you especially, um, We'll see. We'll see what the upshot is because, again, if you wanted a strong GM that was making the decisions and a coach who was just going to coach, uh, don't look like you got that in Milwaukee. <laughs> no, um, I talked about hashtag organizational hierarchy um, for kind of the entire lead up to the Bucks figuring out who would be the coach. And like I said at the time, if you're hiring Bud, I think you're you're very clearly going in uh, a very different direction where you are. I don't want to say purposefully muddling the decision-making process, but you are putting someone in charge who has had power before and who I'm sure would like power again. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'm sure we'll talk about it a bunch more. And then the final thing, I got really... I almost made a huge mistake because uh, Brian Windhorst, anytime he is on the low post, anytime he's on any podcast, he talks about aggregators and how dangerous they can be because you can rip the context of one sentence and make a a a brand new rumor something that is just totally out of context and uh initially i almost did it i almost tweet i tweeted this out and then deleted it i think about five seconds after i tweeted it a couple people saw it but the tweet was windhorse saying chris middleton has been quietly available in trades over the last year and i think it's because they know that in 2019 a chris middleton on the open market with all that cap space could be dangerous not necessarily that you just lose him but it would cost to keep him and that is bombshelly um there there is i think a level of I mean, I think that creates a fervor of some sort. Um, but Zach Lowe was quick to hop in and be like, well, I mean, it's my understanding that they, they've wanted a home run for him. And that, you know, he, he, in the degree that he's available, it's, he's available to the level that almost everyone in the, in the league is. That, you know, if you blow us away with an offer for him, you know, then we'll talk. But other than that, like, he's not available available and when horse explained like yes there are levels to all of this and you know there's a difference between shopping someone and having them be available and the bucks are very much not shopping chris middleton but he would be available in conversations and kind of talked about how that's a similar situation with the cavaliers and kevin love so no bombshell just kind of the idea that you know we talked about how you try to build this team going forward how you try to figure out exactly how to create a contender and it does at least sound here that you know the bucks aren't shut off from any of that and again i think i would be more concerned if i heard that chris middleton is a deal breaker um that there's no way we're trading chris middleton like that would be worrisome to me Giannis, okay i i could see not even listening to Giannis offers, but Chris Middleton offers, I would be concerned if you weren't listening. So again, not a bombshell, but just something that I think is interesting and plays into everything that we kind of talked about early in the podcast. There, Yeah, there should be no no offers for Giannis should be listened to. Um, that That's like, you know, he's one of the handful of guys that, you know, whether you think he's the best player in the league or not, or the best young player in the league, whether you think Anthony Davis is a little bit better, whatever, you know, the, the, these guys, he's in that class where you don't even talk about that. And I don't even know who else is really in that conversation other than than Anthony Davis, to be honest. I mean, yep. previously, maybe somebody would have said Carl Towns like a couple of years ago, a year ago. But now I think everybody knows Towns isn't in that category. Um, and Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, I think he's going to be a great player. I, I don't think he's in that category. MB to, you know, the injury stuff. Porzingis similarly not as productive as Giannis. I mean, you know, again, like a lot of great young players. I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys. I'm not putting Jason Tatum in that class. Uh, sorry, Bill Simmons. Um, so <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, he, he's uh, he's on a different level of than pretty much pretty much anybody because again, obviously, the only players who are really 
you could argue are like definitely better than him are guys who are much older than him like lebron and kd and, and even those guys by next year i think you know you can make a good case that he had a better regular season than those guys this year <laughs> in spite yeah. of the fact that they, they you know they were the two first all, all team uh, all nba first team guys but there's good statistical case that Giannis was better than both of those guys this year uh in the regular season at least so um so yeah it'll it'll be interesting but yeah i mean middleton i mean look i'm a big chris middleton fan but he's you know on an expiring contract he's never actually made an all-star game he's not going to be like a you know super duper star like yep again i don't i don't think there's a deal out there that gets you a better long-term fit or some home run that that the bucks were looking for but um he shouldn't be untouchable right i mean clearly he shouldn't be untouchable especially given that there's always a chance he could leave next summer again i think more likely the bucks are just going to overpay him but um you know again that that's that's just kind of part of the part of the deal and if you're chris middleton you probably feel like you know what yeah you probably should overpay me (laughs) because you you underpaid me last time so um you know again i I know as, as fans we always just prefer to see our teams get away with underpaying underpaying guys year after it's year. nice but, yeah uh but you know hey at some point you, you generally have to pay and the bucks are likely going to have to do that with him and obviously with Giannis, who really you can't pay enough <laughs> that is correct all right um that's going to be it for us for today we'll see if we take a break here um we got to wrap up summer league at some point um but now we are kind of into that that dead zone here um because we are who we are we just managed to record for an hour so um hopefully you know maybe i don't know we'll see we'll see if we take a day off but we are in that slow time so it may be a little bit more sporadic you saw some of that last week you may see some of that going forward as well for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Or a different day. <laughs>